Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1208. The Narco-Fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, Part 15. This is being recorded on October 13th of the year 2021. Before we get into the main body of the program, and we are sort of heading into the home stretch on this series, we're uh, doing a concluding few programs, uh, let me remind you of some links. First of all, there is a link at the top of each For the Record written description, and at the top of each Food for Thought post that will enable you to subscribe to the comments that are made, most of them by our brilliant contributing editor, Terra Fractal, and some by other intelligent listeners as well. Again, there is a link at the top of each For the Record program description and at the top of each Food for Thought post that will enable you to do that. Another link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being offered by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasting is the best way for you to uh, consume the program, there is a link for you to click on to access the WFMU podcasts. Uh, by the way, if, if you are only listening to the programs, whether on the radio or via podcast, uh, this is an extremely pedantic form of programming. It, it really is not intended to be the final or any kind of final uh, product. I refer to myself as a journalistic step-up transformer, and if you were going to present information that is at variance with what people are accustomed to hearing and thinking, then I think it is incumbent upon one, in this case me, to provide the documentation upon which your arguments are based. So uh, that is why I work in the way that I do. If you are someone who only listens on the radio or only via uh, podcast, I would encourage you to go to the spitfirelist.com website and take advantage of the written descriptions to the programs. Uh, I turn each program into an article-length written description, and that should facilitate your uh, understanding of the program. Uh, the last link, and again, the, they are at the top of each program description and at the top of each Food for Thought post, and this will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my roughly 43 years of broadcasting, plus uh, an old a, a library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. There is a link to click on for that. Uh, the latest, newest iteration of the flash drive should be uh, maybe roughly around the end of October or so, and it will be up to date. It should uh, contain programs roughly through 1210. Okay, so... I emphatically recommend that people get that flash drive because uh, I think we are doomed. Uh, I am extremely pessimistic, and I don't think we're going to make it. And uh, if you want your descendants, uh, assuming they survive, to understand why it is that they're living in a rusted Chevy sport van and uh, 
hoping to live to the age of 30 in a world beset by climate change and radiation from the Third World War and God knows what else, well, that is a good way to do it. Uh, get a hold of the 32 gigabyte flash drive and you will become as an individual a repository for all of this information. Now, as we move into the concluding programs in this long series, we are, in a sense, dollying out and taking a look at how uh, the U.S. relationship with the narco-fascist government of Chiang Kai-shek in many ways not only overlapped, but set the template for U.S. Cold War policy in Asia, vis-a-vis not only uh, Korea, uh, vis-a-vis Japan, vis-a-vis what was French Indochina and became Vietnam. And we're going to take a look at, in turn, how U.S. policy during the Cold War uh, stemmed in many ways from our policy toward Chiang Kai-shek and his narco-fascist government. In a remarkable text, and uh, I, I would recommend all of the books by the uh, heroic Sterling and Peggy Seagrave from the Sung Dynasty, there is a good uh, passage which in many ways sums up what I am getting at in these concluding programs of the series. In the Sung Dynasty, again, that's capital Sung, capital S-O-O-N-G, Dynasty, by Sterling Seagrave, uh, published in hardcover by Harper and Rowe, and copyright 1985. There is also a softcover edition. I'm told by some people that they've been able to find the book in print. I thought it was out of print. There is an Amazon Kindle Edition. So please get this book, get all of the books by the Seagraves, and in particular we'll be uh, returning again to the book Gold Warriors by Sperling and Peggy Seagrave, as important a book as I think has ever been written. I think if you have not read that book, then you really will not be able to understand the world in which you live. I know that sounds uh, pretentious and perhaps preposterous. I believe it to be true, but please get all of their books and read them, tell other people about them. And again, pro forma, I don't get any money from that, blah, 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 blah. Now, in the Sung Dynasty, Sterling Seagrave is writing about a clueless, very important State Department flat named Stanley, S-T-A-N-L-U-I, Hornbeck, H-O-R-N-B-E-C-K. He was a State Department flat who basically didn't know Jack, but however, because he was well-connected and being in the right place at the right time, he ascended to a very important position vis-a-vis the State Department's Far Eastern Division. And in the Sung Dynasty, uh, Sterling Seagrave describes Stanley Hornbeck as the doyen of state's Far Eastern Division, and said that Hornbeck had only the most abbreviated and stilted knowledge of China and had been out of touch personally for many years. He withheld cables from the Secretary of State that were critical of Chiang Kai-shek and once stated that, quote, the United 
states Far Eastern policy is like a train running on a railroad track. It has been clearly laid out, and where it is going is plain to all, unquote. Again, I think that's accurate, not necessarily in the way that uh, Stanley Hornbeck uh, maintained. One more time. He once stated that, quote, The United States' Far Eastern policy is like a train running on a railroad track. It has been clearly laid out, and where it is going is plain to all, unquote. And Sterling Seagrave goes on to comment, It was, in fact, bound for Saigon in 1975, with whistle stops along the way at Peking, Komoi Matsu, and the Yalu River. Uh, of course, Saigon refers to the Vietnam War. We'll be getting into the Vietnam War um, at, by, before the conclusion of the series. I noted in our last program that uh, Colonel L. Fletcher Proudy, the late Colonel L. Fletcher Proudy, uh, who was the Air Force focal point officer, in other words, he coordinated all Air Force units with CIA for covert operations. He was, as a young Army Air Force uh, officer in Okinawa, and observed the enormous stockpiling of munitions for the invasion of Japan, obviously when the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, Japan surrendered, and there was no invasion needed. He was walking along the waterfront at that point in time, and uh, encountered the harbor master and observed, well, I guess all of that uh, equipment is going back to the States. And the harbor master said, uh, they ain't never going to see it again. Half of it, enough to equip an army of 150,000 men, was going to be shipped to Korea, and the other half to Indochina. This was in the immediate aftermath of the signing of the surrender by the Japanese on the deck of the USS Missouri in September of 1945. The point being that the course for uh, U.S. policy in Asia was indeed running like a train running on a railroad track. It had been clearly laid out, and where it is going is plain to all, unquote. <laughs> Maybe not the best, but in a way he was very accurate, that is Stanley Hornbeck. Uh, Saigon is a reference, obviously, to the Vietnam War, and half of the equipment stockpiled for the invasion of Japan went to Indochina. That was the French colony incorporating Vietnam, and also Laos and Cambodia, and the other half was destined for Korea. The other references, Peking, obviously, was the capital of China. Komoi and Matsu are two islands in the Straits of Formosa that were bones of contention during the Cold War in Asia, and uh, who knows, we'll be uh, again, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about Taiwan before we, well actually we'll talk about Taiwan a little bit in this program as well. And the reference to the Yalu River, that is the river that borders, uh, that is the border between North Korea and China, and uh, that reference there, I'm sure, is to the fact that uh, Douglas MacArthur, in command of UN forces in the Korean War, as he was uh, successfully invading North Korea, uh, was advised by military intelligence officers in no uncertain terms not to approach the Yalu River, the border between North Korea and China, as they were convinced that that would draw the Chinese 
into the war. Well, MacArthur did not uh, pay attention to the military intelligence officers. He approached the Yalu River, and the Chinese did indeed enter the war and routed the U.N. forces. The uh, uh, battle around Chosen Reservoir was the best-known uh, battle of that particular uh, encounter, best-known aspect of that particular battle. Uh, the U.N. forces were routed, and there then uh, followed three years of stalemate in the Korean War. Um, the what, what, what Stanley Hornbeck described as U.S. Uh, Far Eastern policy, like a train running on a railroad track, it has been clearly laid out and where it is going is plain to all is sadly and tragically true, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to review very briefly the article that we with which we concluded our last program. And uh, by the way, I would refer listeners to For the Record 1142, Deep Politics and the Death of Park Won Soon, Part 3, for a better discussion of some of the power politics and the macroeconomics surrounding the Korean War. Uh, the obituary of, in the New York Times of July 15th of 2020 was for Park, or P-A-I-K, I don't know how that is pronounced, Park Sun Yup, South Korean general seen as hero or traitor dies at 99. That's by Cho Sang Hun, who does most of the Korean reporting for the New York Times. And uh, skipping down, it notes, in 2009, a South Korean presidential committee put him, General Park Sun Yup, on a list of, quote, pro-Japanese and anti-nation, unquote, figures who had collaborated with Japanese colonizers during their rule of the Korean Peninsula. In 1941, he joined the Army of Manchukuo, a puppet state that Imperial Japan had established in Manchuria and served in a unit known for hunting down Korean guerrillas fighting for independence, though Mr. Paik said he had never engaged in battles with them. After the country was divided into pro-American and pro-American South and the Communist North, Mr. Paik was among the Koreans in Japan's colonial military who were recruited when the U.S. was helping to build a military for the South. And again, a very controversial figure in South Korea because of his service in the Japanese occupation forces. Uh, we have looked extensively in this program at the Japanese collabor- at the uh, Chinese nationalist or Kuomintang collaboration with the uh, Japanese invaders. One of the things that in the, the eyes of many expert observers, including T.V. Sung himself, helped to drive China into the arms of the uh, communists. Uh, there also was extensive collaboration between the Japanese and the Kuomintang on the drug traffic, and uh, something that I continue to find just amazing and outrageous, and that is the uh, bartering of American lend-lease to the Japanese that was supposed to be uh, used by the nationalist Chinese to fight the Japanese and a lot of the corrupt, well, actually call, calling Kuomintang officers corrupt is redundant. They were all, uh, all the high-ranking officers were green gang functionaries, just about anyway. 
so that is something of uh, the obituary of Peck Sun Yup, is something of a footnote to uh, the ironically correct observation of Stanley Hornbeck uh, vis-a-vis U.S. Far Eastern policy. What we're going to do next is to take a look at a post from GermanForeignPolicy.com. And uh, this will read, uh, perhaps awkwardly, it obviously is an English translation from the German, so uh, it will be somewhat stilted in its presentation. I will go back, and I will highlight many of the key aspects of this. And what it talks about is the German role in the anti-communist Chinese effort during the Korean War and uh, in that time period. And what it demonstrates is a continuation of the Kuomintang's collaboration with Nazi forces. In, uh, for the record, I think it was number 1205, we spoke about the looting of Chinese gold reserves uh, in the, in, in uh, basically in, the, in areas that the communist Chinese were about to occupy during the civil war that followed World War II. And in that discussion, again from the book Gold Warriors, we spoke about the uh, U.S. B-50 bomber that had uh, enriched uranium on it, basically to be used, or basically with, with containers of uranium, to be used in dirty bombs to be dropped on China and North Korea. Uh, this particular segment, this particular article, speaks about the contingency plan that was being developed to basically launch a nuclear strike on Peking and Moscow, and uh, the planning of the Kuomintang in collaboration with Nazi elements in Germany to uh, basically occupy uh, China after this nuclear strike. What is interesting is the wholesale collaboration of the nationalist Chinese, not only with German officers who had been involved in the Operation Barbarossa, the German invasion of the Soviet Union during World War II, but the continuity between the anti-communist effort uh, in collaboration with Chiang Kai-shek and elements of the Nazi SS. This is in uh, the context not only of the contingency plan to drop atomic bombs on uh, both China and Moscow during the Korean War, basically uh, a third world war, but also the SS propaganda with regard to Tibet, we'll talk more about that in a minute, and with regard to Xinjiang province and the Uyghurs, we'll talk more about that and uh We've spoken about that in many programs in the past, and we will be coming back to that because of the <clears throat> awkward verbiage of this. And again, this article was undoubtedly translated into English from the German, and it is somewhat, um, well, it is awkward. Yeah, the verbiage is awkward. I will go back and underscore many of the key aspects of the article 
The article uh, is in German Foreign Policy and from German Foreign Policy, a blog that can be accessed on the front page of the SpitfireList.com website. German Foreign Policy from October 6th of the year 2020. The article is by Hans Rudiger Minow. That's Hans, H-A-N-S, Rudiger's R-U-D-I-G-E-R hyphen M-I-N-O-W. And the title of the article, Berlin, in the Underground War Against Russia and China. This is by Hans Rudiger Minow, again from German Foreign Policy, of October 6th of 2020. When... During the war on Korea, a nuclear strike against Peking and Moscow had been relocated. Site of deployment, Guam, a maximum of 34 Mark IV atomic bombs, the successor of the Nazi espionage organization Galen in Munich, ensured direct contacts with the Kuomintang. By the way, I'm going to begin this again. Uh, recall that in for the record 1199, they spoke about the fact that a top uh, Wehrmacht general, Hans von Seicht, was a key organizer of the anti-communist military campaigns engaged in by Chiang Kai-shek's Kuomintang. There were also uh, weapons deals between uh, Chiang Kai-shek's narco-fascist government and both Nazi Germany and uh, Mussolini's Italy as well. Recall that one, something else we'll come back to, one of Chiang Kai-shek's sons was actually a participant. He was in the ranks of one of the Wehrmacht units that occupied Austria after the Anschluss in 1938. So what we're looking at here is a continuation of the relationship between Chiang Kai-shek and his Kuomintang and Nazi Germany, uh, and this uh, basically in the Federal Republic. So it's a good book uh, available, one of the books available for download for free on the SpitfireList.com website uh, by T.H. Pettens. is called the, the New Germany and the Old Nazis, and this will give you some good background to this. Returning again to the article. When, during the war on Korea, a nuclear strike against Peking and Moscow had been relocated, site of deployment, Guam, maximum 34 Mark IV atomic bombs, the successor of the Nazi espionage organization, Galen, in Munich, ensured direct contact with the Kuomintang. Following the dropping of the atomic bombs, Kuomintang troops was supposed to march as occupying forces through contaminated terrain towards Peking. To support the offensive of Kuomintang tanks, considered necessary by Chiang Kai-shek, Galen could offer specialists from Munich, from the Reichswehr, and Nazi military. They had accumulated experience in the suppression of riots and strikes during the Weimar Republic and subsequently during extermination operations and Nazi massacres in the East as part of Operation Barbarossa. Galen extended the bloody trail of war crimes committed in Europe to China. Leo Geyer, G-E-Y-R, from Schweppenberg, S-C-H-W-E-P-P-E-N-B-U-R-G, was working with the organization Galen, which in 1956 became West Germany's Federal Intelligence Service, or BNB. We've spoken about the Galen Org at great length in many programs. Continuing. 
the Nazi general, who as hero of the Nazi tank division's advance towards Moscow, had been awarded the Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross, was now in action for Taiwan and the Kuomintang in the battle against Peking. He personally instructed the staffs of the nationalist forces with original documents of the Nazis' Operation Barbarossa. He was personally, beginning again, he was personally answerable to Chiang Kai-shek. Leo Geyer von Steppenberg's comrade in arms, Oscar Munzel, also seemed to be of value to Galen and the BND because of his experience in tank combat, the third Nazi tank division offensive against Moscow. Tank combat was central to Taiwan's military plans to raise Peking. During the planning of a nuclear strike in April of 1951, Unzel was active in Africa as counsel to the feudal Farouk regime in Cairo, which was seeking Munzel's advice for its planned combat at Egypt's eastern border. And that, of course, was uh, against Israel. Continuing, Munzel knew the enemies Cairo, beginning at Munzel, knew the enemies Cairo was worrying about. Munzel had constantly encountered them during the advance on Moscow. The Jews, ordered to be summarily liquidated, now being tracked down by Munzel and 70 other West German Nazi experts in Cairo during the planning for wars with Israel. His career brought Munzel to Munster, to the tank troops of the Bundeswehr in 1956. Following his probation, he commanded a BND clandestine mission in the underground war against China. And the next uh, section is titled Operation Ming-Tay. That's M-I-N-G, second word capital P-E-H. In Taiwan, Munzel's BND group, disguised as a delegation of DAAD, all in capitals, the German Academic Exchange Service Bond, received Chiang Kai-shek's son, Wego, formerly a cadet in the Nazi military, now an armaments expert with connections to the West German war industry. That, again, is the son of Chiang Kai-shek, who was actually in the ranks of one of the Wehrmacht units that occupied Austria after the Anschluss in 1938. Continuing, now, he uh, worked, is working with this group uh, in the planning of the occupation of China following a nuclear attack, and uh, he is an armaments expert with connections to the West German war industry. And continuing, Shang Weigo's assignment was comprehensive and clear to train new recruits for the offensive against Peking by drawing on the German experience gained during Operation Barbarossa, followed by Munzel's testing in Cairo, and to provide the appropriate weapons. Via Munzel's BNB group, which linked its own office in Taiwan to structures of the president's Intelligence Service, codenamed Ming-Pei, these weapons came from West Germany with the approval of the West German Foreign Minister. Tank shells from Bolkow, later MBB, bazookas from Deal, D-I-E-H-L, quote, Mars, propellants and warheads, and explosives and chemicals from dynamite, Nobel. 
Under the guise of being German faculty members at Taiwan's Cultural College, the West German officers of the Mingte Group expanded their influence. The front directed against Peking was reinforced and now also became visible. While Moselle, under BNB command, set up a secret, quote, experimental battalion, unquote, against China in 1968, staff officers of the Taiwan dictatorship studied at the German Armed Forces Staff College in Hamburg quite officially. And the next section of the article, Stimulus for Murder. The armament projects for a war against China were in line with extermination concepts, which revived the colonial stereotype of the yellow peril, unquote, in imperial disguise, red dragon, unquote, and were not adverse to an ethical mandate in their pursuit of defense. The Nazi propaganda's imaginary projection of a people weaker than, quote, inner Asians, unquote, who still had maintained their purity and must be protected was seamlessly transmitted. The notorious SS-produced film Geheimnis Tibet, or Secret Tibet, from 1943, about Aryan genes in the Himalayan highlands returned to the big screen of the movies. The West German state was barely a year old, and the nuclear strike against Peking was in the planning stages in 1950, when graphically identical cinema posters promoted the relaunch. Quote, the original film about the German Tibet expedition, unquote. The film contains scenes with the Auschwitz criminal Bruno Begay. The scenes with Begay, who measures the heads and bodies of the indigenous people, comparing them to those of Aryans, conveys racism as a stimulus for murder, seemingly harmless and interchangeable. Sometimes, as the purity of a people which must be protected from tarnishing by Jews, and at other times, as the Aryan heritage in Tibetan Asia, threatened with dilution by the Yellow Peril from the Chinese state and Han Chinese. The brighter the appearance of the original figure, the bleaker the shadow of its antithesis deserving liquidation. As soon as Peking had reaffirmed its claim to Tibet, the West German film industry gave its stamp of approval, FSK, Voluntary Self-Regulation, to the SS-produced film. Since June 5, 1950, it was approved for age 12 and over. Extension of the approval in 1956, in its new version since January 5, 2000, approved for all ages. Again, this is the Nazi-produced uh, doc- documentary, unquote, about the SS expedition to Tibet, and it is uh, now approved January 5th of 2000 for viewing by all ages in Germany. Continuing. Colonial racism, which provokes emotions in the underground war and, using an ethical pretext, diverts attention from the hunt for prey, the resources, the and markets, the landscape and lives, was revived on West German television. Archaic pictures 
of remnants of indigenous peoples threatened with early death by market competition obscured the focus on the aggressive maneuvers aimed at Red China by BND, espionage, military staff, and arms industry. As if Radio Free Europe and its Munich BNB agents had needed help, the public television's first ARD channel provided a gigantic stage for several decades, 1963 to 2009, to its Foreign People's Series with Focus on Tibet. In the evening program, millions learned how, several years earlier, the omnipresent TV moderator and alpinist hero, that we'll talk about who that is, had met the Dalai Lama as the godly king in Lhasa, Tibet, who had offered his friendship to the white man from distant Europe and who now finds himself on the run from, quote, Red China, unquote, without his indigenous people. The white visitor, the omnipresent TV moderator, was Heinrich Herr, H-A-R-R-E-R, a former SS Oberscharfuhrer. He had joined the SA, i.e. the Brown Shirts, during the underground struggle for an Aryan Germany, had been received by Adolf Hitler as the conqueror of mountains, sent to the peaks of the Nanga Parbat for, quote, athletic training for the impending war, unquote, in 1939. Horror embodied the white mission, transcend all barriers of the world with robust forces, a friend to harmless races, and invincible to competing powers. In an ethnological TV series with more than 50 ARD telecasts of 45 minutes, accompanied by radio and press features, colonial racism reached a higher imperial level. Portrayals of foreign peoples with TV focus on Tibet in the underground war against resistance to the market, the People's Republic of China. The next section is called Clandestine Reinforcements. When parties in Bonn rewarded an insurgency of the Tibetan nobility in 1987 with open attacks against Peking, human rights violations in Tibet, unquote, and demanded an increase in the number of scholarships for Tibetan exiles in Germany, Munich's agents on the Foreign People's Front have long since made headway for scholarship applicants of another people that could infringe on the national cohesiveness of the People's Republic to the extent that its Turkish-Muslim separatism became violent. The Uyghurs from Tibet's neighboring region, the autonomous region of Xinjiang. Following the example of Mingtei, unquote, the group of BNB military smuggled in through BAAB, the Uyghur milieu in the Bavarian capital was provided clandestine reinforcement, legally financed from the usual funds of the Ex- Exquisite Association for Academic Exchange. The new Uyghur generation traveled via Turkey and filled the Muslim ranks of Galen's agents in Munich, who had made their living for decades at Radio Free Europe, the intelligence operation in the Oettinger Strasse, that's O-E-T-P-I-N-G-E-R. Continuing. The radio station, in the meantime, expanded to include another pillar of the U.S. financiers, 
Radio Liberty, was appealing for German soil to, in its Uyghur program, USW Biblis and Lumpertan, that's B-I-B-L-I-S, and Lumpertan is L-A-M-P-E-R-T-H-E-I-N, for resistance against the influx of Chinese citizens, the alien-blooded Han, who are liquidating the purity of the ethnic minority population in Xinjiang, quote, genocide, unquote, for Muslim law, and, quote, identity in a separate nation. The next section, Great Turkestan, Tibet, and Hong Kong. The elders of the Uyghur community in Munich, today the World Uyghur Congress, or WUC, are very familiar with the blood propaganda through their service in the Eastland divisions of the Waffen-SS, the Turkestan 162nd Infantry Division. Berlin had promised them their own nation with the inclusion of Xinjiang, Great Turkestan, quote, identity, unquote, and Muslim law, to be able to position the Great German Reich, unquote, at China's borders with Turkmen help. With the defeated rest of the SS division stranded in Bavaria, they still had their hopes and are once again used against China, as the Nazis had used the indigenous inhabitants in the Himalayan highlands, whose region of settlement, Tibet, and the region of the Uyghurs, Xinjiang, make up a third of China's territory. If Hong Kong is included, it seems that the western side has several levers at its disposal for use in the fight against China. First, internal disintegration, ethnic-based insurgency movements at China's periphery, social dislocation in metropolitan areas, and second, external military intervention, having Chinese from the base in Taiwan fight Chinese. The next section is leaving role. In the underground war, the second option has gained new importance since the EU, under German influence, has intensified its Taiwan policy against Beijing. This permits Berlin to use the politically developed, ideologically elaborated special relationship with the Kuomintang, which has been maintained since the days of the Reichswehr and Wehrmacht, to play a leading role in the Western alliance against China. In all phases of China's emergence, German global policy advancing eastward has been on the side of China's enemies. When, with the founding of the People's Republic in 1949, emergence, beginning again, when, with the founding of the People's Republic in 1949, the emergence seemed irreversible and a nuclear war was planned against China, Western Germany aided with clandestine reinforcements and military know-how. Still, in the ruins left by the Nazi regime, the global policy of the successor state resorted to the historical heritage of the colonial crimes committed in China to stand up to the criminal potency of its wartime competitors in the struggle for greater Asia, even with nuclear war. It remains worthy of this reputation. And we're going to uh, recap um, something we looked at in, for the record, 11.44 in a minute. But again, this is an article that was clearly translated from the German, and uh, the verbiage is uh, quite awkward, and I, I 
appreciate people uh, bearing with me during the reading of that. Uh, what we're basically looking at is a continuity between elements of the Nazi affiliation uh, with Kuomintang and Chiang Kai-shek that we looked at in, among other programs, for the record, 1199, and the Federal Republic working with the U.S. against China and North Korea during the Korean War. And in particular, one of the striking parts uh, about this concerns uh, some of the SS elements as well. Note again, as uh, I'm going to exert briefly some of the aspects of this, when during the war on Korea, a nuclear strike against Peking and Moscow had been relocated, the site of deployment, Guam meeting basically when they, the weapons had been uh, transferred, that's the, the uh, verbiage here. When during the war on Korea, a nuclear strike against Peking and Moscow had been relocated, site of deployment, Guam, a maximum of 34 Mark IV atomic bombs, the successor of the Nazi espionage Organization Galen in Munich ensured direct contacts with the Kuomintang. Following the dropping of the atomic bombs, Kuomintang troops were supposed to march as occupying forces through contaminated terrain towards Peking. To support the offensive of Kuomintang tanks considered necessary by Chiang Kai-shek, Galen could offer specialists from Munich, from the Reichswehr, and Nazi military. And again, some of them were Leo Geyer von Schweppenberg and Munzel, uh, um, uh, his first name is not, I have to go back to the article, but uh, uh, Officer Munzel, uh, one of the German officers who was a veteran of Operation Barbarossa and worked with the BNB. Uh, the point being here, and as noted here, uh, Schreckenberg, quote, was personally personally answerable to Chiang Kai-shek. One of the people here in Taiwan, Bunzel's BNB group disguised as a delegation of DAAB, German Academic Exchange Service Bond, received Chiang Kai-shek's son, Lego, formerly a cadet in the Nazi military, now an armaments expert with connections to the West German war industry. Chang Wego's assignment was comprehensive and clear to train new recruits for the offensive against Peking by drawing on the German experience gained during Operation Barbarossa, followed by Munzel's testing in Cairo, and to provide appropriate weapons. Uh, again, this was one of Chiang Kai-shek's sons. We're going to come back to his other son, who was in charge of Kuomintang military intelligence in Taiwan, if not in this program, in our next. But again, note the role here of uh, Chiang Wang-go. Uh, the spelling will differ uh, from uh, document to document. He, again, was part of the Wehrmacht, one of the Wehrmacht units that occupied Austria during the Anschluss of 1938. He then became an armaments dealer, had strong connections to the West German war industry. One of the things that we looked at in our last program was that the Korean War uh, helped to revive the economies of both Japan and Germany, thereby basically fulfilling the pro-cartel uh, agenda or ideology of John Foster Bellis of Sullivan and Cromwell. 
and notice again. While Munzel and Rabi and the commands of a secret experimental battalion against China in 1968, staff officers of the Taiwan dictatorship studied at the German Armed Forces Staff College in Hamburg quite officially. Now, one of the things that we spoke about uh, in, for the record, program number 596, called Hello Dali, was the fact that the Dalai Lama is actually the opposite of what he is represented as being. And in uh, 42 plus years on the air, I have seen no more profound or past the point insurmountable ob- obstacle than the big lie. Uh, the Dalai Lama is exemplary of that. Tibetan Buddhism is a form of what might be termed jihadist Buddhism with the form of various forms of sexual magic involved in their rituals and it involves uh, the, the pre-invasion Tibet was really something of a theocratic slave society or a serf society. Uh, the vast bulk of the Tibetan peasantry were basically serfs and they served uh, the monks uh, at, at uh, monasteries uh, with a, a degree of servitude that really could be called slavery. If they tried to escape, they would have a leg amputated or something similar to that. We spoke about that in full the record 597. Maybe it, um, no, it's, it's uh, 496 and 497. Anyway, it's... Uh, um, the titles of the programs, and there will be links in the description. Hello, Dolly, I think that's 496, and Tibet, or not Tibet, 497. Uh, the Dalai Lama, there was a tremendous amount of SS interest in the Tibetans. There was an expedition to Tibet by the SS, and they saw the Tibetan people with their high cheekbones as remnants of the original, quote, Aryan race, unquote. A key member of that expedition, the aforementioned Bruno Beguet, uh, became a Nazi war criminal when he took some 138 Soviet prisoners of war who had, quote, Asiatic, unquote, features, had them killed with cyanide sprays so that their skeletons could be preserved for anthropological purposes. Bruno Beguet maintained his contact with the Dalai Lama through the decades and was, as in the 90s, was part of the Tibetan government in exile, an actual SS war criminal, a veteran of the SS expedition to Tibet. The propaganda film that was produced in 1943 about that expedition was shown in Germany during the uh, anti-Primese campaign and continued to uh, have airing up until uh, and, and going through 2000. The tutor of the Dalai Lama was again a former SS officer, Heinrich Horror. H-A-R-R-E-R, as noted there. We've spoken about that as well. Uh, as the Tremondis, that is a pseudonym, they were former key aides to the Dalai Lama. They noted that the Dalai Lama, again, uh, renowned as a peaceful this, that, and everything, he prays on a daily basis to a Mongolian war god whose spirit is said to inhabit uh, or can be channeled by a monk. Again, this is uh, the the, the uh, creature who has been uh, lionized, particularly by the uh, New Age and uh, the old hippie milieu. He prays on a daily basis 
to a Mongolian war god. And the CIA uh, has had very long-standing connections with the Dalai Lama. Some key pa- uh, passages from that article. The Nazi propaganda's imaginary projection of a people weaker than, quote, inner Asians, unquote, who still have maintained their purity and must be protected, was seamlessly transmitted. The notorious SS-produced film Geheimnis Tibet or Secret Tibet from 1943 about Aryan genes in the Himalayan highlands returned to the big screen of the movies, this in the, quote, new, unquote, Germany. More. The West German state was barely a year old and a nuclear strike against Peking was in the planning stages of 1950 when graphically identical cinema posters promoted the film's relaunch. The original film about the German-Tibet expedition, unquote. The film contains scenes with the Auschwitz war criminal Bruno Begay. The scenes with Begay, who measures the heads and bodies of the indigenous people, comparing them to those of Aryans, conveys racism as a stimulus for murder, seemingly harmless and interchangeable as the Aryan heritage in Tibetan Asia, threatened with dilution by the yellow peril from the Chinese state and Han Chinese. Still more. In the evening program, millions learned how, Several years earlier, the omnipresent TV moderator and alpinist Hiro had met the Dalai Lama as the godly king in Lhasa, Tibet, who had offered his friendship to the white man from distant Europe and who now finds himself on the run from Red China without his indigenous people. The white visitor, the omnipresent TV moderator, was Heinrich Horror, a former SS Oberscharfuhrer and talking about the Leaguers, who are now a uh, focal point of propaganda in the uh, U.S. and around the world. Quote, The new Uyghur generation traveled via Turkey and filled the Muslim ranks of Galen's agents in Munich, who had made their living for decades at Radio Free Europe, the intelligence operation in the Strasse. The elders of the Uyghur community in Munich, today the World Uyghur Congress, or WUC, are very familiar with the blood propaganda through their service in the East Long regions of the Waffen-SS, the Turkestan 162nd Infantry Division. Berlin had promised them their own nation to be able to position the great German-like, unquote, at China's borders with Turkmen help. With the defeated rest of the SS division stranded in Bavaria, they still had their hopes and are once again used against China. And I forgive the awkward verbiage, but again, this is translated from the German. And today, yea, verily, as we speak, uh, that same Nazi concatenation is once again very active against China. In a number of programs, we have, and there will be links to those programs in the written description for the program, uh, we've spoken about not only the U.S. intelligence uh, activity vis-a-vis the uprisings in Hong Kong, organizations like the National the Orwellian named National Endowment for Democracy are heavily involved with the leaders of the, quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong that was spurred, by the way, by the adoption of an extradition treaty by the government of Hong Kong. Uh, 
a residual element of the extraterritoriality enjoyed by British in China was that lack of an extradition treaty between Hong Kong and mainland China and elsewhere. A Hong Kong native who was living in Taiwan murdered his pregnant girlfriend and then fled to Hong Kong because he could not be extradited. Call me old-fashioned, but I happen to agree that uh, with that premise, basically that he uh, shouldn't be able to be extradited so that he could not get away with murder. Uh, perhaps even more substantively, the adoption of the extradition treaty could have been used against the phalanx of very powerful transnational white-collar criminals in Hong Kong. So I suspect that was the real reason for the boo-ha-ha against the extradition treaty. And again, note that the leaders of the pro-democracy movement, as it has been called, were all linked with leaders with basically U.S. intelligence cutouts such as the National Endowment for Democracy, spoken about that in many programs. We've noted that among the activists, unquote, networking with the pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong were representatives of both the Azov Battalion and Pravisekar, two Ukrainian fascist movements that were sent uh, to Hong Kong courtesy of an EU non-governmental organization. And Joshua Wong, one of the U.S. intelligence financed activists in the Hong Kong uprising, uh, helped to adopt the uh, salute of the OUND fascists in Ukraine, both during the World War II period and now. Uh, glory to Ukraine, glory to uh, it's glory to Ukraine, glory to the hundreds, I think it is. Anyway, the, the salute and chant of the OUNB uh, has been adopted the glory to Hong Kong, the anthem of the, the Hong Kong, quote, pro-democracy movement. Again, uh, glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes. That is the uh, salute, and it has been adopted to the anthem of the pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong, courtesy of Joshua Wong, who himself has been financed by U.S. intelligence. And in Xinjiang, uh, a German national named Adrian Zenz, whose gravitas vis-a-vis uh, Xinjiang comes from the fact that he is a member of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. That is an offshoot, a subsidiary organization of the Free uh, of the Captive Nations Committee that was co-founded by Lev Dobriansky of the OUNB milieu and Yaroslav Stetsko. Stetsko was the leader of the World War II collaborationist government in Ukraine that itself was deeply involved with genocide against Jews, Russians, and ethnic Poles in wartime Ukraine. And Adrian Zenz is basically the go-to guy for uh, the, quote, genocide, unquote, against the Uyghurs. And note again that uh, the heritage of the Uyghurs also very much uh, overlaps that of the Third Reich. 
we have noted in for the record 1144 that the fellow named Ruzi Nazar, who had strong connections to the CIA, he represented the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations at the 1984 WACL conference in Dallas, Texas, and he was heavily networked with, among others, uh, Isa Yusuf Alpekin, who in turn was associated with Chiang Kai-shek. Reading, we're going to conclude with a brief excerpt, again this is in 11.4, for the record 11.44, from A Dark Path to Freedom, Ruzi Nazar from the Red Army to the CIA by Enver Altali. This is obviously a pro-Pan-Turkist book. And talking about the Bandon Conference in 1955 in Indonesia, Ruzi told the press office of his plans, and they informed journalists and delegates of the press conference to be given by Ruzi Nazar, observer delegate from Turkestan and a former officer in the Turkestan Legion. That was the 162nd uh, Infantry, uh, at various times a Wehrmacht and SS formation. Skipping down. Sayyip Shamil had wanted to come to Bandung along with the Uyghur leader Isa Yusuf Alpekin, the former prime minister of the Republic of East Turkestan, which had been broken up by Chinese armies in 1949. And again, he was networking with Ruzi Nazar. Ruzi Nazar with links to the CIA, as we looked at in AFA program number 20, uh, or AFA program number 21, and also worked for the, well, was an officer in addition to the Turkestan Legion with the Durlevanger Brigade. That was a notorious SS Punishment Brigade, uh, as we looked at again in AFA number 21. And we uh, have spoken again about the continuity between uh, the Nazi affiliation and uh, National Chinese affiliation, Kuomintang affiliation with the Uyghurs uh, in a number of different programs, and uh, there will be links to those in the program description for For the Record program number 1208. And I apologize for the awkward verbiage uh, in that article, but again, I'm reading directly from that. That article and excerpts will be in the written description for For the Record program number 1208. And we are all out of time. This concludes For the Record program number 1208. The Narco-Fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, Part 15. This is being recorded on October 13th of the year 2021. Hyundai Vemery, have fun.